The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. To have each and every one of you here today, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John chapter number 17 this morning for our text reading. I feel like we're about to watch a Pixar movie or something after that. (laughs) And I'm so thankful for our media guys and just all the work that they put into some of these things and musicians and it's such a blessing. The Gospel of John chapter number 17 is our text here today. This morning we are beginning a brand new series of messages that will take us through the next uh, seven weeks or so. And it's simply entitled, Help, I Need to Change. And I think if we were to be honest one with another, we've all been at seasons in our lives where there was something in our lives we wanted to change and, and, and maybe for some of us there was a, we wanted to change our weight or our diet, uh, maybe change a career and uh, we've all had seasons where there was something inside of us that we wanted to see transformed and yet uh, if you're like me it goes well for a little while and then before you know it you're kind of slipping back into old uh, habit patterns and so we're going to spend a few weeks in this series attempting to tackle a huge theological concept and that is simply how does change actually happen? How does change for the long haul actually take place? And, and the Bible refers to the process of change. It uses a theological word called sanctification. And so we're going to revert back to that word quite a bit. It's the Bible word for transformation or change. And uh, we're going to look at what the Bible says on how change or transformation, sanctification actually happens. And so we're going to look at what the Bible says about that over the next six or seven weeks. Uh, Kind of as a side note here, uh, last night, September 6th, was a a small little anniversary for my wife and I. Uh, It was on September 6th, uh, 2002, uh, that she and I met for the very first time at a Dodgers game uh, down in Los Angeles. And, And so it's kind of one of those things where we kind of remember a little bit. And so one once a year, we take a moment and we'll go on a little date or something and just kind of talk about when we met and, and uh, how, how different our lives are in light of that meeting, you know, and just how it just totally has transformed our lives in some incredible ways. And uh, today I want to take an opportunity to introduce you to someone who I honestly believe has the potential literally to transform your life in some unbelievable ways. And, and so we're going to take some time today and I I want to introduce you, if you've never, if you've never personally uh, developed a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, my prayer is that today you would walk out these back doors knowing how you can have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Inside your service program that you should have received on your way in today, there is a little outline that you can use to follow along here through the, the um, study. We're going to take some time just to see what the Bible has to say about this subject of change. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand here uh, for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read John chapter number 17. We'll begin in verse number 1 and read through verse number 3 here. The Bible says in the Gospel of John chapter number 17, verse number 1, These words spake Jesus. Okay, now as we're reading, you're going to find that Jesus sometimes refers to himself in third person. And so he does that quite a bit in John 17. But he says, uh, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross 
He's getting ready to take the punishment of your sin and my sin upon himself. And, and this is about what's about to take place. He says here in the next verse. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. Notice this. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So Jesus is saying, I'm coming, I'm going to do this so that humanity can experience or at least have the potential to experience eternal life. And this is life eternal. Jesus says, I'm going to explain this thing. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We're going to take some time today and focus. I want to speak on this subject of change. And how Jesus literally changes our lives from the inside out. Let's pray and then we'll dive into our Bible study. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And for those of us here today who have experienced your incredible gift of salvation, we want to just declare with our lips, thank you. Thank you for the incredible blessing that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us life eternal in you. And Lord, I pray that we would not keep this gift to ourselves, but Lord, this would be a gift that we would share with those around us. I pray that you would use your word, Lord, the Bible today, and help us to truly understand what the scriptures, Lord, mean to us here even in the 21st century. We love you and we thank you for what you're going to do in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. A while back I was reading an autobiography about a man by the name of Mel Trotter. And Mel was one of seven children born in Illinois. It kind of resonated with me. I'm also one of seven children. And his father was a bartender in Orangeville, uh, Indiana. And as a young man, Mel married a young lady by the name of Lottie. Uh, at first, you know, it was a kind of a storybook type of uh, uh, marriage. And it was after a little while, however, that Lottie began to see a darker side of Mel. You see, Mel was addicted to alcohol and gambling. It, it was one of those things where he wouldn't be able to hold down a job and he wouldn't want to communicate what exactly was going on to his spouse. And so he'd hold down a job for a while, but after a, after a while, the, the fact that he would show up to work drunk, it would just kind of get him fired and he would go from job to job and therefore move from city to city. In fact, the guys it got so bad that Lottie regularly would try to encourage him to quit, you know, Sober. And for a little, little period, period of time, time he would, but it wasn't long before he just went back to back gambling, gambling, back here and here, addicted to it, spending all their family's money on drink and gambling, and it was just wrecking his family. On one occasion, he came home and his wife pleaded with him to try to get some help, and he promised that this would be the last time, and so he did the best he could in his own strength just to kind of muster up the self-discipline that he needed to quit, and for a few days he did, but then once again, he relapsed again, and it seemed like there was nothing he could do to permanently change. He desperately wanted to, he desperately desired to, but it just seemed like nothing was permanent. He would do well for a while, and then he would slip back into those old habits, those habits that were destroying his marriage and his family. He had one son here at this time, a, a young little boy, and it was really the center of his life. 
One time, Mel conjured up all the willpower he could, and, and literally for two months, he remained sober. Lottie said it was some of the happiest two months of their life. He did everything he could, and it was such a, a, a battle that was raging inside of him, but with all the, the discipline he could muster, and with all the character that he could conjure up, he would just literally fight back all that, that was trying to come up against him. But once again, after the end of the two months, temptation was too much. And one evening he found himself literally just drinking himself to a stupor once again. Spending the little money that his family had. As he came back with a terrible hangover, he walked into his home. And he looked there in his little, little run-down house. And his son was just incredibly sick. Lottie had tears running down her face. And she said, our son's not doing good, Mel. She went to a little stash where she had hidden money away from him. She knew that any money he found he would use for drinking, alcohol. And so she had a stash that she had kept from him. And she pulled that stash out of money. And she said, I, she said this is enough money to get the medicine that our son so desperately needs. I, I need you to take this right now. I need you to go downtown. I need you to get some medicine for our son. Mel took that money and as he was making his way down to the pharmacy to get the medicine that his son so desperately needed, once again, temptation just began to brew in his heart. It overcame him and, and he took that money that he was supposed to use there for his son and he walked into a bar. For the next 10 days, not at home, went from bar, gambling, and for 10 days he didn't go home. After 10 days of spending all the money that his wife had given him, he, in kind of a drunken state, made his way back to his house, only to find that his son, literally just hours before, had died. Of course, Lottie's heart was just broken. She wanted nothing to do with this. Here was a guy who couldn't even control him enough to save their very own son. She had enough of it. They had a little funeral service for him there in Chicago. And literally as they were burying him, Mel walked up to the little casket, pulled the shoes off of his feet, put the shoes in his pocket, and literally within hours of the ceremony, hawked them at a little pawn shop just to get a little bit more money so he could have that next drink. I mean, he was addicted. And no matter how hard he tried to change, no matter how hard he tried to stop, he would do well for a little while, and then he'd quit, he'd do well. As he spent the last of that money there that he had got from pawning off the shoes that were there on his son's feet, he thought, you know what? If I can't change myself, then I'll kill myself. So that's what he decided to do. And Mel made his way down to a bridge overlooking the icy waters of Lake Michigan all because no matter how hard he tried, no matter what he did, no matter how much he desired, no matter how good his intentions were, it seemed like nothing changed the situation. Have you ever had a hard time changing something in your own life? And maybe your example is not as extreme as the one that we find here in Mel's story. Maybe it was something in your marriage. Maybe it was something in your career. Maybe it's something there in just your personal life. And it's something that 
more than even somebody wants to have changed. Maybe your spouse wants to see this changed in you and maybe a good friend wants to see this changed in you. But no matter how hard you try, it just seems like you can't change. And you discipline yourself and you try to muster up all the character that you can. And, 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 and at times you do well. And for maybe a week or two, you, man, you're able to kind of just push through it. And maybe for some of you, even, you've even got a month or two months. And, and maybe it's something destructive. And, and maybe it's not something that the rest of us would look at. And maybe the rest of us would say, that's not that bad. But you know in your own heart it's something that you've, you've just struggled with. It's something you want to change. And, and, and maybe it's something that's horribly destructive. And maybe it's something that's socially acceptable. But it's something that you want to see changed. And, and it seems like you've spent a lifetime going up and down, back and forth. And no matter how hard you change, you kind of feel like Mel did. There was just, no matter how hard I I tried. It's, it's useless. It's, it's pointless. And maybe for some in here it is drugs and substance abuse. And for others maybe pornography. And for others relationships that you just can't let go of. Something that you know is hurting you. And know that it's not healthy for you. And for, the, for others of you it might be something that's a little what we would consider more socially acceptable. But whatever the case may be. You're, you're just fighting it. And you, you don't even want it. You don't even like it. But you feel stuck. You feel like you're a hostage. You feel like you're in bondage. And so every New Year's you make that resolution. And every New Year's you commit. And every once in a while you'll hear a sermon or, or you'll read a book or you'll go to a seminar and you'll think, this is it, I can do this if I just try hard enough. And, and your life has been nothing but going up and down and up and down, back and forth because... At the end of the day, what you have begun to realize about yourself is that change is hopeless. It'll never happen. And so what does the Bible say about change? I think what we're going to find over the next six weeks is that change is very different. And the way change happens is very different than the way most people think it does. The way most of us think change happens in our marriage and the way that most of us think change happens in our relationships and the way the change we think happens, you know, in our own private lives. If we get to the Bible, we're going to find that more often than not, it doesn't happen the way we think it does. Max Dupree had this to say about change. If we do what we've always done, we'll get what we've always had. We cannot become what we need to be by staying what we are. So how does change happen? How does it take place? That's what we're going to seek to unpack here over the next few weeks. And, and with this in mind, I want to lay the foundation with simply this, this kind of theme, not just for this sermon today, but the theme for this entire series. And, and at first it's going to seem cliche, but as we continue to dive deeper into it functionally and practically over the next seven weeks, you're going to find that this statement that we put on the screen is going to have more and more functional practical meaning to you each and every week. And that is simply this. Jesus can change what we cannot change. Jesus can change 
what we cannot change. So this morning we're going to look at two powerful changes that Jesus and Jesus alone can make in our lives. And this is going to be the foundational message for an entire series that's going to explore and unpack how transformation, sanctification, and change really looks practically, functionally in the 21st century here today. So let's begin by reading verse number 2 again. I want you to see this in chapter number 17. Notice what the Bible says. It says here, And thou hast given him power over all flesh. Notice this, that he, speaking of Jesus, that Jesus should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So according to this passage and according to the entire Bible, without Jesus in our lives, we are destined for an eternity separated from God. But with Jesus, we have the hope of spending eternity in heaven with God forever. You see what this passage says, that Jesus should give eternal life. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that offers salvation. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that offers eternal life. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that saves us. From this eternity separated from uh, God in a place that the Bible refers to as a lake of fire. Which leads us to the first change that Jesus makes in our lives and that is this. Jesus and Jesus alone can change our eternal destiny. The Bible says that without Christ we are destined in a direction in rebellion against God. We are at enemy with God. We are headed in our own direction. And it is Jesus and Jesus alone that can put us on a path to salvation. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that saves us. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that offers us the gift of eternal life. If you've studied the Bible or read the Bible to any lengths of terms, you'll find that there are a lot of different phrases that the Bible uses to describe this reality. In fact, uh, if you went to Acts chapter number 4, the Bible refers to this as salvation. In John chapter number 3, the Bible refers to this reality as being born again. In Ephesians chapter number 2, the Bible refers to this reality as being saved. In fact, as you continue to study the scriptures, you'll find that there are a lot of big theological words that the Bible uses to describe this reality of of salvation and, and having God save you from the inside out. Everything from justification to redemption. And you'll even find these big words. And yet they all speak of the fact that without God, we have no hope in the future. That it is Jesus and Jesus alone that can change our eternal destiny. In rebellion against Him, we're prone toward destruction. We're prone toward our unhealthy choices. We're prone to be lost and yet Jesus finds us. Jesus saves us. Jesus gives us life. Notice verse 3. And this is life eternal that they might know thee. Can I say this? That life eternal, eternal life is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. To, to know. This is not just an academic knowledge of God. This is not just an intellectual understanding of the nature of God. This is a personal faith. Where we come and we put our trust, our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone to be our salvation. To save us. To rescue us. To give us eternal life. The book of Acts chapter number 4 verse 12 says it this way. Neither is there salvation in any other. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This verse and many others remind us of the reality that it is in Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other. This verse is in context speaking of Jesus Christ. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus and Jesus alone gives us salvation. Jesus and Jesus alone offers eternal life. And without him there is no life. There is no rescue. There is no hope. Because there's no salvation without Him. There's no eternal new destiny without Him. I want to say this. If God is our hope of changing. If we need God to change us from the inside out. how, How do we get this relationship with God? How do we come to know God in this personal intimate way? And it starts by simply understanding this. That God loves you. You say, if you knew what I did last week, if, if you knew the person that I was, if, if you knew some of the things that I have done, you, I don't know that you would say, God loves me. And yet I want to declare to you, and if, if you've never heard this before, I want to remind you today that your God, He loves you. You say, but I'm broken. I'm unhealthy. I, I, I need fixing. And I, I want to declare to you that God loves you in spite of yourself. God loves you even in your sin. He cares for you. He wants the best for you. But it's Jesus and Jesus alone that can save you. To give us kind of a visual illustration of maybe how this works, I want to throw this up on the screen that literally sin, our sin, separates us from God. You see, the God of heaven, the true and living God, is a perfect God. He is holy and He is righteous. There is no sin in Him. And so it's impossible for us to have a relationship with a perfect, holy God because sin exists. And this sin separates us from God. And so what a lot of people attempt to do, because there is a gap that separates them from God, they desperately want that relationship. They want the healing that God can bring. They want the unity that comes with the relationship with God. They do their best to try to span the gap in their own works. And so a lot of religions, a lot of people will tell you that you have to do this or do that in order to get to God. And so depending on the religion, depending on the person, they'll say something like good works. And and so people will try to build a bridge to God through their good works. And if my good works outweigh my bad works, and if I do more good than I do bad, then maybe I can build a bridge to God. Maybe God will accept me. Maybe He'll love me if I can just do more good than bad. And so people try good works. Uh, People try religion. And they think, well, if I just go to church, or if I just join this denomination, or if there's just a certain group that I can get around with, then maybe I can span the the gap. Maybe somehow I can get to God. And yet the Bible tells us it's not by works of righteousness Titus says by we are saved. Not by works of righteousness which we have done but it's according to His mercy He saves us. Bible tells in Ephesians for by grace are we saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. Brag. And so no matter how good you try to be No matter what church you go to, uh, no matter what denomination you belong to, no matter if you've been baptized or given a lot of money to the church, no matter given money to poor, help out people in need, all those are good things, but it's not enough to span the gap. 
The Bible says this, There is none righteous, no, not one, for all fall short of the glory of God. You see, nobody is good enough to get to God. Nobody can be perfect enough. Nobody can be holy enough. Nobody can be righteous enough to get to God. We all fall short. Now, now you might look around and you might think, well, my bridge is longer than the person's bridge down the pew. (laughs) Well, you know, I might not be doing that good, but at least I'm not doing that bad. Your, Your bridge might go a little further, but can I say this? The Bible says you were born in iniquity. Get this. You were born with a sin nature. In fact, the Bible says if you you break one of the laws, you're guilty of all of them. Can I say this? In your own, there is no hope for salvation. In your own strength, you're not going to span that gap. And God recognized that no matter how hard you tried, no matter how hard you worked, no matter how hard you pushed, your good would never be good enough. Can I say it this way? Works don't work. Works don't work. Well, that leaves us with a dilemma now, doesn't it? So, Pastor, you're saying this church can't save me? You say, if I join this church, are you saying I'm not going to go to heaven? Joining this church is not what gets somebody to heaven. (laughs) In fact, there's a part of me that sometimes thinks there's a lot of people who go to church that won't be in heaven. Because going to church is not what gets somebody to heaven. Being good enough is not what gets somebody to heaven. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the wages or the penalty for sin is death, but... The gift of God, Romans 6. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I say this? The only thing the Bible declares that can span the gap is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ was a perfect man who came to this earth, literally God's son, God, deity, robed in flesh. He came to this earth, walked among us, lived a perfect life, and then literally suffered and bled and died in your place. He took the punishment that your sin deserved upon himself. He paid the punishment that your sin deserved. You see, sin deserves punishment. The wages of sin is death. Somebody has to pay for your sin. Somebody has to experience the punishment for your shame and your guilt. It'll either be you or it'll be a substitute. And the Bible declares that Jesus Christ, literally God, robed himself in flesh, came down to this earth, lived a perfect life, and took your hell for you took your punishment took your sin he took your place he took what you deserved and gave you what was his he took your unrighteousness upon himself so he could give you his righteousness he bore the penalty of your unholiness So he could robe you in his holiness. 
So that when God the Father looks at you, He no longer sees your brokenness and your sin. He now sees a covering. He now sees His Son Jesus to those who have accepted, to those who have put their faith, their trust, and their belief in Jesus to be their own Savior. It's something you appropriate, you get by faith, by believing. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone to be your Savior. To say, I'm no longer going to trust my good works. I'm no longer going to trust my church attendance. I am going to put my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to be my Savior. Which leads us here to this thought. Jesus and Jesus alone can change our eternal destiny. Can I say this? According to the Bible, when someone puts their faith in Christ, when they put their belief in Him, the Bible says that they are given a new nature. The Bible says they become a new creature. Literally, God begins changing you from the inside out. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 17 says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now get this. It doesn't say you're become new. It says you are new. Get this. This is important. You don't like become, like God doesn't like start making you better. God literally, the moment you accept Christ, you have his spirit indwelling in you. And the Bible declares you in that moment, you are a new creature. You have been changed on the inside. Now, inside of you is everything you need. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, inside of you because of Christ's spirit in you, when you've accepted and put your faith and trust in Him, is everything that you need for life in, here on earth and godliness to be like Jesus. Everything you need is already inside of you because of the Spirit of Christ. It's there when you put your faith in Him. Those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior could begin sharing stories, dozens of stories, how maybe God has changed your life in small ways and in big ways. You, you could share stories about how God's maybe changed your behaviors and how God's changed your thinking and how God's changed your desires and your values and your identity and your choices and your worldview and your habits because that's what Jesus does. He puts in you a new spirit and now in you is everything that you need to be permanently changed forever. But then how come we struggle in the flesh? How come like last week I, I still wrestled with this thing? The Bible tells us that in Christ we are a new creature. Notice here, I want, I want, to, I want to keep going to this verse and we're going to unpack this. Notice verse number 19. The Bible says in John 17 verse 19, And for their sakes... I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now let me define this for a second. The word sanctified literally means dedicated to living for God's purposes. The Bible says that when you got saved, not only were you saved, but He wants to sanctify you. He wants to set you apart for God's purposes. And so we see here, this leads us, this speaks of this idea of, of spiritual maturity. It speaks of change. It speaks of transformation. And so He saves us. He gives us a new nature and then what he wants to do is allow 
our outside, our, our bodies, our behaviors to come into alignment with what he has already done inside when we uh, put our faith and trust in Jesus. And this is called the process of sanctification where there is alignment between who God says we are and who he's made us to be on the inside and who we demonstrate ourselves to be in the exterior world in which we live in. This process is sanctified. It's this dedicated to living for God's purposes, which leads us to the next thing that Jesus changes in our lives. And not only does Jesus change our eternal destiny, but I want you to see secondly, Jesus can also change our everyday lives. Yes, he changes our eternal destiny by allowing Christ to die and take our penalty. And when we put our faith in him, we can have our eternal destiny changed and he puts his spirit within us. But we can also see our everyday lives begin to change. The habits that we're wrestling with. The situations that we're going through. How does does this begin to take place? How How does this happen? John 10 verse 10 says this. Jesus declares, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I think they put this in your notes. But God loves you just the way you are. But he doesn't want to leave you that way. He wants to make you just like Jesus. He wants to make you like Jesus. Um, <laughs> trying, to become, uh, trying to become a better person by trying harder is, is somewhat like trying to fly by flapping your arms. It ain't going to happen. And some of you are here right now and you're trying to get better in this area. You want to be better relationally and and you want to be better in this area and you're trying to get victory over that area. And, And it's like you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and it doesn't seem like it works because it's futile. Trying to change by doing better is is much like trying to fly by simply flapping your arms. It's futile. You can't change yourself. Only Jesus can change you. What does that mean functionally? Pastor, break that down. What does that mean practically? And that's what we're going to begin to unpack throughout this series. The same way you got saved or the same way someone gets saved, that is the same way they get salvation, by grace, God giving them a gift through faith. So that person demonstrates belief and faith and they get God's grace for salvation, for eternal life, for that new nature. Just like, just the same way you got saved, you got eternal salvation by grace through faith, is the same way you will continue to change into who God has destined you to be. It is by His strength through faith. So just like you get saved, you get saved by recognizing, I can't God. I need you. And so by faith, I believe that you can save me. I believe that you can give me salvation. I put my faith and trust in you and you alone. I'm not going to try to save myself. I can't, I can't do this thing myself. I need you. The same way we get salvation is the same way we grow in spiritual maturity. We say, God, I can't be the husband you want me to be. I can't be the wife you want me to be. I fail. I try. I fall down. I get back up and I fall on my face again. God, I can't. So by faith... I believe that your grace, your strength is already made available to me and in me, in your spirit, I already have everything I need for victory in this area and I claim it. I claim that what you have given me is enough to overcome. Grace by faith. 
And if you have Christ in you, you have everything you need for victory. You have enough in Jesus. You see, this is how Christians can experience God's deepest joy. This is how we as Christians now can experience God's deepest blessings. This is how we experience God's deepest peace. This is how we experience change. The same person that changed us at salvation is the same person that changes us in the day and age in which we live. The same process by grace through faith is the same process that changes us here for spiritual maturity. It's grace appropriated by faith. So, we saw first of all, Jesus can change our eternal destiny. Number two, Jesus can also change our everyday lives. So how does that play out? Well, like I told you at the beginning of the service, it was a cold winter night there in Chicago. Mel Trotter had come to the end of himself. He had said, if I can't change myself, then I'll kill myself. And he began to make his way down through downtown Chicago toward a bridge overlooking the icy waters of, the Michi- of Lake Michigan. And he was going to end it. His wife wanted nothing to do with him. His son was now dead. He had tried to change again and again and again. For years he tried to change. He'd get a little victory momentarily for a moment and then he'd relapse. He'd try again and he'd relapse. No matter how hard he disciplined himself, no matter how hard he tried, no matter what he did, he just couldn't get victory on his own and so he decided he'd end it. With Lake Michigan in the distance as he was walking down the middle of the night that downtown Chicago. God had a plan. In the distance he began to hear some singing. He listened and in the distance there was some lights coming out of a a building. And there was a sign that said Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. A man standing outside of that building by the name of Harry Monroe saw Mel. Harry had a sketchy past himself. Struggling with addiction after addiction. But found Jesus. And Jesus not only changed his eternal destiny. But for Harry, Jesus literally changed his everyday life as well. The same person that saved him was the same person that he allowed to change him. The same process that he went through to be saved and get eternal life getting God's grace and strength by faith was the same process he used to grow in spiritual maturity and Christ likeness. He appropriated God's strength and grace by faith, believing that everything he needed for life and godliness already existed in him because of the spirit of Jesus Christ that dwelled there. And by faith, day after day, he would claim the victory that was already his in Christ, appropriating the grace and strength that already existed there. And Harry began to grow. And so that evening, Harry summoned Mel. And they began to talk. Harry invited Mel there into that meeting. And that night, Harry spoke. Mel sitting in the back of that rescue mission, not knowing if this would be the last night of his life, heard a message very similar to the one we've been talking about. That Jesus and Jesus alone 
can be the Savior. Not just saving you from an eternity without Him, but also saving you in the very here and now. And that day, Mel put his faith, his trust, and his belief in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to be a Savior. And over the next few years, Jesus began to do in Mel's life what Mel was never able to do on his own. Jesus began changing him. He was sanctified, set apart. You see, the same person that rescued him from that eternal separation from God also was the same person that changed him in the everyday life. The same process, God's strength by faith, is also the same process that he changed on his everyday life, recognizing God gave him everything he needed in the Spirit of Christ, and he appropriated that strength, he appropriated that grace by faith, believing that what God's Word said about him now was absolutely true, and lived his light in light of that new reality and God began to change him it wasn't long before Mel Trotter and his wife were running a rescue mission of their own in Grands Rapids Michigan the Trotter ministries have an incredible legacy of reaching out to those in need by the end of his life Mel Trotter had personally been used to see more than 10,000 people come to a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. God used him epically. Not only did God deliver him from his addictions and deliver him and heal his marriage, forgive him of the shame and guilt of killing his son, but God did something powerful in his life. To this day in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you can go to the Trotter Rescue Mission. And over these past decades, hundreds of thousands of people have been helped by the ministry started by a man who came to realize that in his own, he could not change himself. That in his own strength and his own power, he didn't have what it took to truly change, but in him we could. Can I say this? Just like Mel Trotter, we have to get to a place. And I'll, Let's put this up on the screens. We've got to, if I can say it this way, we must change the way we attempt to change. For years, some of you have tried to change by dedication. I'm just going to make this commitment. I'm going to write it down in a journal. I'm going to look myself in the mirror and I'm going to say, you can do it. <laughs> so we read self-help books. <laughs> We motivate ourselves with kind of self-help tapes. And for a while it riles us up. And for a while it seems to work. Or, or, or we'll just dedicate ourselves. Because some of us are pretty, you know, we've got a lot of character. And we can just kind of, we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And we're just going to make this thing happen. And, and so we look to change in that way. And yet the reality is, I'm going to say to you today, we've got to change the way we attempt to change. Because even though you might have a lot of character. And you might have a lot of discipline. And on the surface you may 
may, may, it might look like you've changed. A person who changes themselves, though to the average observer, it may look like you change something here or change something there. It is not a holistic change because if you change yourself, you sabotage that change with pride and arrogance. All of a sudden you walk around because you did it. Look what I've done. Why can't you? There's a pride. There's an arrogance that literally sabotages your transformation. You walk around like you're some superior, we call it superiority complex because you did it. I tried and I made it happen. And so there's this kind of looking down on people who can't do it. We kind of get an entitlement mentality. God, look what I've done for you. Look how I've changed for you. Now you owe me. So even if you think you've changed, and even though you on the outward may look like you've kind of put it together with your own strength and your own ability, you have sabotaged the very transformation that God wants to you to use to glorify himself to the nations. It's sabotaged with arrogance and with pride, sometimes with an entitlement mentality, with a superiority complex. And that is why so many people outside the church hate Christians. Because we fixed ourselves. And we know it. And we walk around and people look at us and like we, we kind of have, like we've dotted our I's and we've crossed our T's and we kind of, we, you know, we dress this way or we walk this way. We, we talk a certain way. We know how to act in church. And then the world looks at us and says, yeah, they're right. But like at the same time, they're like totally wrong. Like, like what's up with them? It's pride. Because we did it and we know it. God cannot use it to glorify himself. We sabotage the very good that we're trying to manifest. And this is why the church is not making an impact in the world today. Because our change is not God changing us. Our change is just discipline and integrity and character. There's a place for that. We're going to unpack this. I'm not vilifying those things. But unless Jesus and Jesus alone, the one who saved you is also the one who sanctifies you, the one who gave you eternal life is also the one that is giving you every change in your everyday life, unless it's truly Jesus, his grace and strength that you appropriate by faith, you know I can't. God, if I, even if I, God, I'm either going to fail miserably or I'm going to succeed even more miserably. Those are your options. And so God, I need you. Because even if I can do this for a little while, either I'm going to fall on my face in two weeks or I'm going to succeed and be the most pious, pharisaical hypocrite because of my pride and my arrogance. God, I need your grace. I need your strength to change all of me. Not just my behavior. Not just my bad habits. I need you to change my motives. I need you to change my values. I need you to change my worldviews. I need you to change my beliefs. I need you to change my habits. Because God, I can't change those things. Only you can change the heart. Only you can change my values. Only you can change my motives. Only you can change my beliefs. Only you can change my worldview. Only you can change the deepest part of who I actually am. I can try to tweak some things on the outside, but it'll either fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. I need you.
to change me from the inside out. Can I say this? Changed people change things. We desperately need to see a world changed. It doesn't take long to read the news to realize that we need change in our world. Changed people change things. People who have experienced the change of God's Spirit working in us and through us change things. Together we can glorify God by making a really big impact in the world around us. And this happens as we allow God to first make a big impact in us. We talked about it. You can, tr- you can try to change yourself, but if it's not Christ, it won't last. And if it does last, it'll be sabotaged by your own fleshly arrogance. But let me encourage you with this fact. Even when you do fail, you say, I've accepted Christ. I put my faith in Him. But sometimes, Pastor, I fail. And I want to say to you today, because of the grace that is yours in Christ, failure isn't fatal. Falling isn't final. Because God's grace and God's mercy is there to lovingly restore and give strength, the the strength we need to get back up and move forward. God's grace is always available to you. And you may be sitting here right now and you may say, I feel so much guilt and I feel so much shame. I want to say to you, God loves you anyways. He cares for you. He loves you. Even when you fail, even when you fall, his grace and his mercy is always there for you. And while we may not be everything we ought to be, and we may not be everything we want to be, by God's grace, we're not everything we once were either. And that's the hope of the gospel. Jesus can change what I cannot change. Yeah, you might be able to change your behavior. But God can change your heart. Now here's what's crazy. When God begins to change your heart, your values, your motives, your worldviews, by natural byproduct, your behaviors and habits begin to change in response. Stop trying so hard to change your behavior and let God change your heart. For when God changes your heart, your behavior blossoms in response to that. And that is the seeds of how change begins to take place. Normally at this point in the sermon, we would get really practical. We'd get really functional and we would begin to flesh out. What does that mean tomorrow morning? Okay, I got this annoying co-worker. I'm always mad at her. What do I do in 12 hours? (laughs) And that's what we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. And you are here for the first service. And I, I truly do hope that you'll join us for the remainder of this series as we look to God's word and ask ourselves, how do we change? Because help, I need to change. If you're here today and there's never been a time where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've never experienced eternal life in Jesus, today can be that day. If you've never put your faith in him, I I pray that today would be the day of your salvation. And in a moment, if you would like, I'd be willing to even pray with you. 
And we'd love to have somebody open up the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that heaven would be your home. Know for sure that you're saved. To know for sure that you have the Spirit of Christ. Because you can, you, you can go through the next six weeks, but if you don't get this thing settled, if the Spirit of Christ doesn't dwell within you, then nothing we talk about over the next six weeks is going to help you at all. You need Christ's Spirit living in you and living through you for any hope of permanent, lasting change. If you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, could be the day of your salvation, the day where you experience the Spirit of Christ taking residence in your heart and life. How? By working for it? No, it's a gift. By simply believing what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago was enough for your salvation, enough for your ability to be born again and experiencing life in Him. If you'd like to be saved, I'd love to pray with you. Love to have somebody show you from the Word of God how you can know this life eternal. Shall we pray? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Dear Heavenly Father.